This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program for the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. Hi, this is Robin Curtis, and I played Lieutenant Savick in Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock, and Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. And you're listening to Standard Orbit on Trek FM. Risk is our business. It's like nothing we've dealt with before. My golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Now in standard orbit, sir. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original and new cast of Captain Kirk in the Enterprise. I'm Ken Tripp. I'm Haley Stoddart. And I am Zach Moore. And with the recent release of Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, we thought it would be relevant to discuss the premise of fan service in Star Trek and some noted themes between J.J. Abrams' last Star Wars movie and his last Star Trek movie, Into Darkness. You know, guys, uh, I'm not a Star Wars fan, but this is an interesting topic because I've heard a lot of people discussing that they feel this most recent uh, Star Wars film is mostly just made for the fans. So this brings into this conversation the dynamic uh, in Trek, especially, of, oh, our lovely gatekeepers and and people who just are really big sticklers on canon and Canon is the most important thing ever, and we have to stick to it. Otherwise, we're going down in a blaze of glory, I guess. Um, so when you say gatekeepers, can you elaborate a little bit more what you mean by people that are gatekeeping? Sure, I definitely can. And I actually pulled this up because you mentioned this. According to <laughs> okay. Oxford Dictionary, gatekeeping is the activity of controlling and usually limiting general access to something. But we also have gatekeeping. And this is when someone decides that uh, they know what is right or wrong, who can watch a show, who can't watch a show, based on that person's view of said show. Uh, I have been myself the victim of some gatekeepers telling me that I can't like something because I'm too young. Uh, it's been very fun, but uh, gatekeepers, just I ignore them. But that's what gatekeeping is, is basically, no, you can't, I know what's right, I know what's wrong, this is how it should be, you can't like this thing because you don't see it the same way I do. I gotcha, okay. And and the reason I kind of um, was going down this path is if we if we look at the, what, what triggered this whole thing off was, was going to see the rise of Skywalker, I'm not going to get into the plots there. But it did make me think of Into Darkness right away. And then, you know, if you if you look at what differentiated Star Trek 09 and Star Trek Into Darkness, you have one that's a reboot and one is a retelling. And, and though Into Darkness wasn't the best amongst many Star Trek fans, it, it was the most successful. And, you know, to me, there's there's kind of a common theme I'm seeing with the new Star Wars movie and into darkness as well as kind of the force awakens zach what you, what were your feelings i know you've seen the new star wars movie do you see these similarities well it's interesting because there is a a narrative if you will going on on the on the uh response to the rise of skywalker because the force awakens came out jj abrams our friend jj abrams left star trek mm -hmm. to direct that it was a remix of a new hope the 1977 star wars film uh but I loved it at the time, and I feel like mm -hmm. overall, a lot of people like. I think the the general audiences, fans, 
the majority of everybody really liked that because it was a reintroduction to Star Wars. We're back. Okay, that's fine. Now do something different with the next one. And then J.J. Abrams did not stick around because he tends to leave franchises. <laughs> he didn't stick around. <laughs> so Ryan Johnson directed The Last Jedi, and which was the, the second, episode eight. Okay, if we're just talking trilogies and you know, franchises and stuff here. Radically different direction from The Force Awakens. Um, clearly, him and J.J. Abrams have very different ideas of what Star Wars is. So, very polarizing film. <laughs> A lot of fan of. I personally did not like what they did with Luke Skywalker. Um, but that's that's neither here nor there right now. We can, <laughs> but J.J. Abrams comes back for episode nine. <laughs> so, it's a it's a pendulum swing back to what I guess he had in mind. And there, you know, we're not going to get into spoilers and things like that in, in detail, but. There are lots and lots of things in Episode Nine, Rise of Skywalker, that kind of say, "Hey, don't worry about what happened in Episode Eight, The Last Jedi. We're doing this now," and it like undoes a lot of what the difference was. And I f- and and it seems to me that the analysis of like, "Oh, well, th- they're doing it for the fans." Like, okay, I, you could see that on some level, and I can see he would. I I think the fan service we're talking about is like a, a miscalculated fan service by the people in charge of these franchises. They think they know what the fans want. And so they're like, you guys remember Spock? You guys remember Star Wars stuff, fill in the blank, right? You remember this planet, right? <laughs> and they do all these things, expecting you to like stand up and cheer. and be Like, oh, I know what that is, right? But they forget, you know, telling a good story in there. And I think that's what we're, we're talking about here. And I, I definitely see what you mean. Uh, I haven't really thought about this until you brought it up, Ken, because you suggested this topic. And I definitely see what you mean about the, the, uh, the connections between Rise of Skywalker and Into Darkness because it's it's Abrams and 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 he's he's really good at, at like telling a an an energetic polished exciting story using like existing interne- intellectual properties you know Star Trek Star Wars Mission Impossible you know that's where he got mm-hmm. his his big budget I mean he was a TV guy and he went to movies with Mission Impossible three which is a really enjoyable film but if you stop and think about a lot of <laughs> You know, if if, it's, if you slow down and think about the stories that he tells, sometimes it leaves a lot to be desired. There's not much substance there, and in much the same way, the Rise of Skywalker was like Return of the Jedi again. Into Darkness was the Wrath of Khan again, and I don't think that's what I'm, me as a fan. That's not what I'm looking for. Now you say, "Would well, you? You just said you don't like the Last Jedi. That was different." That's I mean, it doesn't. It can still be different. <laughs> okay. I think the problem with The Last Jedi was it was like in between these two J.J. Abrams movies and this this sequel Star Wars trilogy just doesn't fit to carry them very well. So that's its own conversation. But yeah, I just, I, I, it's it's unfortunate that that The Rise of Skywalker is like Return of the Jedi again. And that's not what people really wanted. And that's especially not what people wanted with Star Trek Into Darkness being the Wrath of Khan again. Because you go through this whole thing where you reboot the the Star Trek universe, you know, with Star Trek 09, which, which like the force awakens was a cl- was a crowd pleaser. Most people liked it. The majority of the general audiences and, you know, fans as well. I mean, I know that a lot of people are like, I don't like new Star Trek, but you know, that's, it's, uh, there's always going to be those people. Right. But I, you know, I, I'm Mr. Stickler over here for stuff. You guys know me, but I love Star Trek 09, you know? So I think to your point, Ken into darkness was so successful because people really loved 09 and they wanted to see what was coming next. And then everybody went to see Into Darkness, and they said, oh, okay, well, that really wasn't what I was looking for. <laughs> and then, you know, by the time Beyond came around, nobody came back. Well, I think I think what, what happened with Into Darkness being so successful financially was they put a lot more into the international market, a heavy dose of marketing there, and they made a movie that was a little bit more generic that people could just enjoy, you know, far out space, great, great, great effects, and and all of that. And it's an enjoyable movie, it is. But what I, what I took from what you were just saying is, um, you know, Abrams is very good at rebooting a movie, uh, or a franchise. I mean, he, he brought Star Trek back from the dead. This was dead. Uh, Star Wars, everybody was much more, in, you know, Star Wars, The Force Awakens is the most successful movie of all time, financially, period, right? Um, and that says something. <laughs> so he does have a skill, there is no doubt. And then I started thinking, but don't let him get a second or third one. Let him produce. <laughs> let him produce, maybe. Because Beyond, that, that was the difference. And Haley, maybe you could help me here. But when you looked at Beyond, right, that was a very original story that acknowledged fandom 
but I don't think it was fan service. It was done so well that you can incorporate things that fans will enjoy, but tell an original story. And and that's exactly right. Uh, Beyond was an original story. It wasn't something that we kind of had seen before. And I think that's something, you know, to what Zach was talking about, this reboot, you know, between Star Trek 09 and The Force Awakens rebooted these and they they kind of I think with the second one we're like okay we did this it was great and they're like hey let's pull in an element from like some previous movie and and they so much stick to that that they don't really build the story as much as they should because they figure well fans really enjoyed this like Wrath of Khan was a big film. A lot of people really love that one. Let's pull in that element. And then rather than developing a story that really fits with the new reboot, like 09, rather than saying, hey, let's just do something original for a second one and a third one and however many more, they want to pull in something just because it did so well before and just retell it in a slightly different way. And I guess with Rise of Skywalker, we can say the same thing. It was like, hey, this did really well back in the 70s. Let's just retell it with different characters, but it's essentially the same story and we don't develop it more because it did so well then. It's it's going to do well now. And I think that kind of almost so plays into, and this is a little off topic, the fact that we have and I can't tell you because I don't know, but all the Godzilla films, let's just redo Godzilla. Let's just retell Godzilla <laughs> with better effects and different characters. Maybe it's a different city, but it's still essentially the same story. Uh, let's let's redo this movie. And, and rather than creating original stories, we're just going to retell the same story because it did so well 20, 30, 40 years ago. Let's just retell that with new actors because these are the it actors. And and so I, it hurts a lot of things. I think some things do great. But when you're like, okay, it did so well before, whether it was fans, whether it was, you know, fans later on down the road or people just really went to see it just because they're like, ah, well, well, look at the numbers. Let's just retell this same story. And it clearly does not work. Well, a, a couple things there is I, I think it's harder to recapture the spirit of something like beyond. I think recaptures the spirit of the original series more than any of the Kelvin timeline movies. It's like that could be a, a second season mm-hmm. episode or, you know, a series finale for the original series. Like a, it's the feel of it all, you know, the, the mm-hmm. crew and just it, it works so well, but that's a different kind of uh, fan service than, Hey guys, you remember Khan? <laughs> Do you, do you remember the Klingons? Do you remember? It's like, yeah, I do. That's what the problem is. It's easier to dangle something like, remember the Death Star? Here it is. You know, remember mm-hmm. the Emperor? Here he is, right? Like, yeah, I remember that stuff, but we're, we've gone past that. Can we do something else? And I think I think it's a lazy way out. I I, I think there there's plenty, there's a universe of opportunities for storytelling, but they take the easy path because because as you said, Haley, it's a, it's a proven commodity. They mm-hmm. look back and they say, this worked, and this goes back to the TNG movies too. Like, like all of them are very Wrath of Khan inspired. You know, it's like here's a, there's a villain in a countdown, and it's a thing at the end, and we gotta stop it. Like, you know, it's like the the, the blueprint of Star Trek. You know, that's the blessing of curse of the Wrath of Khan, right? It's like it's so great. If I loved it, then they just couldn't break the mold to the point of J.J. Abrams literally <laughs> remaking it with Khan when it came to End of Darkness. Could yeah. could this also potentially be, you know, that fan service because they're looking at the new fans who maybe haven't seen all of the original stuff. So maybe they don't know about Khan. They don't know about, you know, the original, my the Star Wars films that I enjoy, the original films. I wonder how much of an element is that because they're like, okay, we are so far removed from these generations. Yes, the fans obviously who saw those films when they first came out are still around, but we have a couple more generations now who maybe have never seen these things because their parents are weird and don't show them those things, which really you should. Or, you know, like how much of it is that? Is that, hey, you know, we have all these new fans who probably don't even know what this is, so 
yes, we're going to maybe tick off the original fans who know all this stuff and maybe don't want to see it again. But hey, we're going to get these fans who are new because they've been watching the Clone Wars or they've been watching, you know, the later Star Trek series and they don't necessarily know. I think it's the opposite, to be honest with you, Haley. I <laughs> think I think they captured the general audiences really, really well. And they were very hypersensitive. Well, we, the fan base, we're our own enemy. We know that, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> we are our own enemy. <laughs> we have met the enemy and it is us. And, and you know, because of the thing, you have social media, you have all of that. So Star Trek 09 was was very successful financially. You know, it it, re, it got the got the um, the whole program back on its feet. But the people that were the loudest against it were the longtime Star Trek fans, or a lot of them were. You know, the folks that were just coming into it. You know, you take a guy like Justin Ozer as a great example. So start that for the first time got him into Star Trek. It was his gateway. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of fans like that. And there were also a lot of fans like, I don't like what you did with the Enterprise. It moves too fast. It's not Star Trek. It's not this. You know, this isn't the way it's supposed to go. And they struggled with it. So I think when they made Into Darkness, they wanted to pay homage to that audience and bring back something that, you know, they would appreciate with the whole Wrath of Khan story. Because that, and they tell it in a way where a general audience could still see it, not have to have seen it, and still get it. And like I said, it made the most money. So it, 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 ironically, it still was bigger with general audiences than it was with Trek audiences. And then when they make a movie that really captures the whole spirit of it, you know, they failed terribly in their marketing. Yes. And it didn't make as much money, but it was a much better movie than the other two, in my opinion. So, um, you know, so it's, it's always an interesting formula. People are always trying to work it to ensure. I mean, it's capitalist. I get it. You want to make sure you're making the most money. And it can get noisy out there. And, and consumers have more power than they've ever had before. And so I think what you're seeing is the proclivity to play it as safe as possible versus really go out there and try to find a unique story. I mean, look at the reaction you're getting from the potential Tarantino Star Trek, right? There's people right off the bat saying, I won't see this. Why not? <laughs> you know, I mean, why why wouldn't you want to see it? I understand people. Some people don't like his style and his his you know uh, language and stuff that he uses in film or whatever. But it could be a very unique and interesting take on things. You know, so you, you know when when you take a chance, you do take a chance. You could lose money on it. Um, but I I just I'm just concerned now that the fans because you know that. They hate it when they see it, but at the same time, if you deviate too much, they hate that too. It's it's a very delicate dance for these companies. Well, it, it's tough because like Rise of Skywalker, right? Like, I, I don't know who they thought this movie was going to be for, right? Because it's like, right? It's like the Last Jedi polarized a lot of people, turned a lot of people off to the sequel trilogy, right? So a lot of people are like, I'm not interested. In it. You 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 took the it was a horrible movie. You took the hero opinion. of my childhood, Luke Skywalker, <laughs> and you made him. A useless old hermit, right? And uh, right. and uh, yes, I know people were like, "Well, I love what they did with Luke." Hey, you know what? Good for you if you did. But a lot, about half the people that saw the movie didn't. So a lot of people had a sour taste in their mouth after that. So then with Episode Nine, they're like, "Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> well, we're gonna do reverse of the last one." It's like, okay, but the problem is you already upset the people that didn't like the last one, so they're gone. And you did this, and you upset the people that liked the last one because this new one undoes the last one. So it's like, I think general audience, like we're talking about, general audiences will enjoy the Rise of Skywalker. That's why it's, it's doing well. The audience scores well, uh, you know, if you look on the internet. Because it's like, oh, yeah, for if you want to go see a movie for like two, two and a half hours, it's J.J. It's Abrams, like we were saying. He delivers a great, entertaining popcorn movie. But for like hardcore mm -hmm. diehard fans who like like really analyze this stuff, you're like, wait a minute, <laughs> you know. And it's 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 uh, it's become like, and it's unfortunate that these franchises that had such a passion fan base, and that's why they became the franchises they became, they've now devolved on the big screen, in some cases, to like the Transformers movies or something, right? It's like big movies that make a lot of money. You know, you go see them and you leave. You don't think about them anymore, uh, and then they just make another one just like it like the next year that's what I, that's what i'm seeing happen to star trek and star wars it's on the big screen you know I, I don't who knows what's next for star trek on the big screen we're still waiting to find out but uh that that's kind of what i see happening with this with these 
Well, and I think the problem is, you know, the directors and the production companies and everyone kind of involved in the higher up, to a degree, have to factor in the fans. Because those are going to be the people that, if they really like it, they're going to go see it numerous times. I know for a fact that I saw all three of the new Star Trek films at least twice. The first one and the last one I saw three times in the movie theater. And I hardly ever go to the movies anymore. It's really hard for me to go. For one, you know, it has to be a movie both me and my kid are going to want to go see. And, you know, and then time and everything else. So, like, I rarely ever go. I don't know what's in the movie theaters hardly anymore because I'm just never there. So I think to a degree you have to factor in the fans because if they really enjoy it, they're going to go see it multiple times in the theater. And if they don't, they're not going to go and they're going to tell other people who are in the fandom, don't go see this. It was awful, terrible, and they might not go. And then that just snowballs down the line. Um, Word of mouth has never been more powerful. Exactly. And, and you know, and then there's the gatekeepers who are just like, oh my gosh, don't go see this. And they just go on their YouTube channels and <laughs> rant about it and whatever. And then they hate on people who do enjoy it. And that's another topic. But then there's also the fact that you have to factor in, okay, yes, we have to somewhat cater to the fans, but we can't just cater to them. Like, really. And obviously, this is proof that really when you do that too much, it doesn't do very well and fans tend to not want to see the next one or subsequent ones, however many you have. And so it's a very delicate balance, I think, for these companies to kind of say, okay, how much do we do? What do we do? And I think pulling in small elements into a film and saying, hey, a nod to this or a nod to that is really all the fan service that I want to see. I think most people that I've talked with that's really what they want. Just like a little nod to something that's happened before. It doesn't change it. It doesn't make a different outcome. It's not showing it all over again. Like in Beyond, the picture, when Spock opens the box and there's the picture of the crew in there, that was brilliant. Didn't need any more than that. Just that little moment was was great. And I think... I think you said it. Yeah, yeah that's ahead, that's really what it is, is it's... I don't think as fans were were wanting something like Star Trek Into Darkness or like Rise of Skywalker. We don't really care about that. We just want a little nod saying, hey, we're acknowledging what's come before all of this. But we're also going to move you forward. Mm -hmm. I think that's really, really well said. <laughs> I think you hit it right on the head that when they do something that only the fans would know but it doesn't have anything to do that could knock the story out of whack. Mm -hmm. But you sit there and you smile because you went, hey, I know what that is. And that's their little, you know, here's here's, here's that thing to acknowledge. We know you're watching. We, we want you to enjoy this. And here's a little tidbit or Easter egg or whatever it is they call it. Mm -hmm. um, it. It is much more satisfying than redoing a story or retelling the story and just chopping it up in different ways. Uh, over and over again. And I think at least you articulated it better than I can repeat it. But all I'm saying is, yes, Haley, I think you've got it. For me, anyway, I agree with you. Well, I think fans can be pleased. I know that it's also like, you could never yeah. please fans. Oh, yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah, there's some, uh, yes, there's a percentage of some fans that will never be happy. We know this, no. right? But you look at mm -hmm. things like The Mandalorian, right? The Star yep. Wars TV show on Disney+. Plus. Everyone likes that. Like I, I would I would wager like ninety percent of people who have seen that really enjoy it. And I count myself as one of them. And I think that walks a very fine line between like new stuff but fan servicey things that you recognize elements, but they're telling new stories, right? And so, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, Star Wars fans are getting a bad rap right now because of all this, but uh, but I'd say most Star Wars fans like that show, right? Um, because it, it felt free to kind of do its own thing, right? And if you want to turn back around and look at Star Trek. You know, we, we got Discovery going on right now. Very polarizing right. show. But you live by the fan service, you die by the fan service. And I think that's a big problem with Discovery. It's like, hey, we're going to tell a new story. I'm like, okay. It's going to be 10 years before TOS. Hmm, okay. The main character is going to be Spock's sister. Okay, stop. What are you doing? 
you know, and then it kind of, and it goes from there. Like if Discovery mm-hmm. was set in the 25th century and no one was related to anyone, Michael Burnham can be Tuvok's granddaughter or something if you want to do that. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's great. But then you try to wedge it into stuff. You're you're going to like upset the status quo. Like, you know, you guys know where I stand on this stuff. But I think 09 was smart because it's a parallel universe then go do whatever you want. If you're going to complain about that, I have an issue with you. But if people have like get their feathers ruffled around Discovery, I, I, I'm I right there with you because I felt like you're trying to sell me because of this. <laughs> like, hey, you guys, you guys know who Spock and his parents are, right? Look at this. And Captain Pike. Captain Pike, the best thing about Discovery, but he came from TOS. So it's like you live by the fan service, you die by the fan service. And here they are in season three, and they're the best thing about their show is not going to be on their show anymore. So I don't know what they're... You know, they're in a tough spot. So... It's 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 like it's a crazy world out there right now for fandom. So anyway, yeah, it 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 is. I and I hear what you're saying, and I think that you know Discovery has some great episodes, brilliant writing, um, incredible production value, and you know instead of tipping its hat, it goes overboard to, I guess you know make people happy by making sure that everything is checked in the box, and it doesn't need to be. In my opinion, it doesn't need. Well, to I be. know the, 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 you always go back to the whole like. We're taking the hollow emitters out. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah, that? that stuff. Yeah, <laughs> it, that, that, those are the things that'll that'll drive me, you know, crazy. I, you know, whether or not you you like or don't like the new redesigned Klingons, go with it, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I just I was just like oh, whatever. It's you know, I I I, I kind of like the ones from the movie TNG era better than the, you know than the one or I, I like the the JJ version of the Klingons. I thought they were some scary yeah looking Klingons, man, you know, and, and, but they, they keep playing. Okay, fine. At least you took a shot, you know, but then they go back and try to describe it and figure things out. And, you know, I, I just, to me, I, I think the best story that can be told is again, where the fans feel like they have some inside knowledge that non-fans don't have, but it doesn't detract at all from the story and everyone can enjoy it. And I, I, that's, like I said, we could have summed that up in the beginning. Where were you at the beginning, Haley? We could have saved all these <laughs> listeners thirty-five minutes. But I, I, I do think that I do I do think that you know when we go back to what, what's happening on the Star Wars front, so it's it's just because the common denominator here is J.J. Abrams. Yes, right, and and that's that's really the common denominator to me is this guy can relaunch a series. Um, Star Trek 09 was a pretty original story. The Force Awakens was not an original. It was original names and casting, but a premise that was similar. Although I guess you could say that Star Trek 09 had similarities to other plots Sup- with, you know, super great big weapon, ships and planet super destroying, main character has yeah. a dead father, That's, has to find his destiny. Like there are some overarching but, themes, but the details. There is. But character-wise, like in but, specifics, it's not. And I think no, that's the it, definitive line. Well, here's the thing that he did that was super bold in 09, which he's never touched again. He took out Vulcan, mm-hmm. right? He took out Vulcan. I mean, that was that was a pretty ballsy thing to do in Star Trek, right? I mean, it was, you, you always say, you know, in the movies, they try to up the drama. Um, he's never upped it again. Uh, it, it, you know, it, it, you, you look at Into Darkness, they reverse the, the Spock-Kirk thing, Kirk is revived by Superblood. You look at this new Star Wars movies. I mean, they keep hinting at sacrifice, and there is none, really. Well, it, it's, it's, it's his bag of tricks. We're like, we're gonna we're gonna tease game changing stuff, and then we're gonna undo it immediately. Like that's because like into darkness, right? You're gonna switch mm-hmm. Kirk and Spock. Kirk's gonna die, but right. then literally ten minutes later, he's alive again. How am I that's supposed right. to feel the weight of that? Like Spock in Star Trek Two died, and it took him a whole movie to get him back. And then he had a whole nother movie of like finding himself again. But Kirk is himself 10 minutes later. It's like, it's like you read the playbook and you misunderstood how to use it with for into darkness. So yeah. Or to just be bold, you know, and kill a main character mm. and see where it goes. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, it in, you know, in, in Star Trek for them to take out Vulcan, everybody's favorite alien in Star Trek was the Vulcans, yeah. right? For the most part, I, you know, I can't speak for everybody, but you know what I'm saying? That was ballsy. That was like, oh my god, they went there, and and, and Spock's mom, so it had a personal stake as well. Mm-hmm. That's right, and and I'm just saying that 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 formula has kind of gone away, and it's it's kind of a shame um, that it 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 didn't carry on. 
into the other. Well, you know, you know, they, know, they did into, kill Captain sorry. Pike in Into Darkness. That was good. Yeah, okay, that's that was... fair. That's fair. But he's like an auxiliary supporting character who kind of already had a dark fate. He had a pretty terrible fate. Yeah. yeah. I think this was a better fate than the one he had. And well, maybe not because he was on the planet Talos Four. But yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I hear you. I hear you. That that was that was at least there was some drama there, and that was very dramatic. Yes. Don't don't get me wrong, but but yeah, but still, you, you see a lot of the same tricks of. You know the uh, of in that he's used in Into Darkness that he's used in the Rise of Skywalker. You know, and it's like, hey, oh, we thought you thought this, we got this, and there's that, and it's all this sleight of hand stuff. And then, but it keeps the energy so quick. You're not, you're, you're, you're just, you're carried along with the story. But then when you you stop and you go home and you think about it, especially when you watch it again, <laughs> you're like, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. So, yeah, well, in in neither Into Darkness or. Um, the new Star Wars movie, Rise of Skywalker, neither film allows itself to breathe very much. I would say you catch your breath more in Into Darkness than you do this next star, this new Star Wars yeah. movie. I mean, if if you think about, you know, for a second, uh, you know, maybe I I need to use the head or I, I'd like to get another Skittles. Forget it. You know, it's <laughs> too much. Don't do it. Well, movie. and, you know, part of it, but see, but all that kind of works better for Star Wars. And that's what people always say. Like, J.J. Abrams should do Star Wars. Well, how'd that turn out for us? But, um, you know, Star Trek, we care about the mechanics of the universe, like warp drive and how long things take to get from there to there. But then, you know, when we do the Star Trek, the Kelvin timeline in the first couple movies, it's like we leave Earth, we're at Vulcan in like 10 minutes, you know, and it's right. like, well, how long did it take you here? Same thing in Rise of Skywalker. They were jumping around literally the whole galaxy to the edges of the, they go to the edge of the galaxy in the new Star Wars movie, and it's all in like half a day. And like they, they gather a whole fleet in like half a day. And that, that reminds me, yeah, <laughs> that reminds me of the, the JJ Star Trek movies because the same kind of thing. Like you're zipping around. We're, oh, go, we're, go, go, we're go. Klingon now, we're, we're, we're at Kronos. Took us took yeah. us ten minutes in warp drive to get here. It's like no, it is it is pretty fast paced, but I I think it's um it's it's interesting that the same person both franchises because it, it it's just it was funny when when he left Star Trek to go do the next Star Wars, and the kind of the joke was well he was trying trying to make Star Trek into Star Wars anyway, <laughs> so he should be in Star Wars, and I think it worked out. And I think we owe him a lot for, for launching both, um, relaunching both franchises. The one thing I will say that's different is, you know, Star Trek has a much larger base. Um, it's, you know, it, he didn't need to reboot it. He wasn't reviving it. You know, it was the big move by Disney to buy Lucasfilm and to and to finish off um, the, the trilogy that we all wanted, you know, that was kind of always hinted at but never made. And so he, he did that that very well, where I think where Star Trek was in a very different place. thought it was a high risk for Paramount to spend that kind of money on a movie, uh, a Star Trek movie. And, and you know, luckily it, it worked out. And, you know, you're seeing Kurtzman now. He's running all these shows, and he came from J.J. And so, I mean, it's, it's worked out very well for the franchise. So it's just interesting, the parallels to me after coming away from that. Yeah, I I don't know. I just I think there's a point where if you sit there and analyze it and oh well not just analyze it overanalyze it like over over overanalyze it you just <laughs> you take away from it and you know I mean we sit here and and we analyze and we talk about it and we discuss it but in a healthy way. And I think there's there's a healthy way to look at these at these fan service films and there's an unhealthy way to look at them, too. And if you're taking that unhealthy approach, you're never going to be happy with it. You're never going to be happy with anything that comes after it. And and you're just going to sit there and just tell everybody you should just think of it the same way I do. And I think there's again, there's that line between a nod to the fans who are going to recognize something that general audiences wouldn't and just playing way too heavy handed with, hey, remember all this stuff or, hey, you really liked this stuff before. You're going to like it again. And and giving, you know, with Discovery, I think wedging things in where we can kind of say, okay, this is what's happened 
And but we also like kind of the guess of maybe how we think it happened or or whatnot. And we kind of want to know, but I think we also kind of don't want to know. And so we want stuff that's new and fresh and this constant giving us stuff that we already know or trying to put things in that affects what we already have, what we already know is really kind of it kind of does suck. Um, and but I think there's also a way to do that just enough that it keeps your fans happy, the the uber super fans, and then it brings in and continues just growing the fandom, and it doesn't make people cranky and mean. <laughs> I don't know if there's any way to get around that, regardless of what you do, but that's just the way it is. Well, but yeah, and, and, and I, I hear you. I, I think both franchises, all franchises, really, you can see this even in like the uh, DC Comics movies, you know. I think there's so many franchises these days are so reactionary. Like it's like mm-hmm. and they all they all go online and they read like what did people say? All right, let's address that in the next one, or let's do this in the next one. Like and you know that's how I feel like that Discovery right now with Star Trek. Uh, you know, it's like season one was unique. You know, the, you know in, in many ways it copied a lot of other things, but like at least it kind of did its own thing. But sure. they, but then the, they went online like oh no people don't think it's Star Trek enough. Well, let's get let's get Pike in here. Let's let's. Let's let's get more. Let's get Spock. Everybody likes Spock. He's our. Is everybody's favorite character? Spock in here, right? It's like, all right, guys. Look, you didn't need to bring Spock in to be a main character on your second season of your show. And it's very. I, I and I think the only reason they did the Enterprise, right? The only reason they did that is to kind of like win over fans. But you're only going to win over half of them because the other half are going to be mad <laughs> that you're doing that kind of thing. So eh, that's my point of view. It, I think you're right, Zach. But it, you know, it it all goes back to. If you're going to invest that kind of money, um, you, you better hit a home run, right? And well, I think I think times have changed a little bit where when TNG came out, and it took a little bit for itself to find its legs, and once it did, man, it was a world class sprinter. Um, you know, the the it was it was an expensive show, but it was it was syndicated. Um, it was done a little bit differently. Here you had um, a launching of a network dependent on its success really and pulling in subscribers and you know, they, they needed to do it right. And I think if you saw, I know the first episode was a, was a two parter, but if the first one was launched without the second one right behind it, I don't know how many people would have turned in for that second one. Well, <laughs> I, I, was, I didn't. <laughs> yeah, it was, you know, cause you got to see it on TV and I was like, wow, you know, this isn't, I didn't, you know, it, it's slow. It's plotting. I, I don't really get this. And then, you know, it, it stepped up in the second piece, which was fine. And, and then, then it started to find its way. I guess what I'm saying is, you know, the, the I, th- I think the Enterprise, Pike, all that stuff came into play because they couldn't lose the subscribers. And, and it's just it, there was just much more at stake, especially, you know, it's the most expensive thing ever produced on TV or it was at the time. I mean, who knows? If Mandalorian yeah, or others Mandalorian are more expensive, probably is now, I bet, but yeah, yeah, and and I've seen those episodes too. I, I was watching them over the weekend, and they are great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, again, it, nothing's as great as they say or as bad as they say, but it's good. <laughs> yes. It's really, I like it. You know, I like it a lot. Uh, but I'm just saying, you know, production-wise, you know, just the cast of Star Trek so expensive, then the effects are so expensive. So. I, I guess what I'm saying is, you know, there, there's a piece of it where they have to make sure that they're pulling the fans in because they can't afford, quote unquote, to take a loss. And at the same time, it, it really can impact uh, creativity. Um, although I think I, I give I give Discovery a lot of credit. You know, th- these are the first serialized Star Trek TV shows ever. Um, it's hard as hell to do that, I think. Um, I don't know if it's harder or easier to do episodic. I really don't know, but it's it's hard to do to string it along and then come up with something coherent. Whether you like the plots that they came up with or or, or the hows, I give them a lot of credit for being fairly original. It's not neither one was a retelling so much. Um, you know, like I said, in, in some of the some of the things that I think I think they did well, and other things that I don't think it was quite what they what they had hoped or what I had hoped. But anyway, it doesn't matter. But the, the the bottom bottom line is the bottom line, you know. Can we make enough money to cover it? And you go to the Star Wars thing; they hit the formula button hard. They yeah. just hit it. They just they just put the um, 
the mixer on high. Right? <laughs> That's, I mean, this thing goes. Um, I would say the Force Awakens, at least it breathes sometimes. Um, it doesn't breathe at all here. And if you look at 09, it, it breathes quite a bit. There's some pretty emotional stories there. The first scene, probably one of the best scenes ever in Star Trek history. And then Star Trek Into Darkness, it moves faster. Uh, and then beyond, I think you had a pretty good balance. But that pacing was still pretty fast, even though that wasn't JJ. The Rise of Fan Service. There it is. There's the your show title. Of fan <laughs> well, you know, look at Rise of Skywalker. They're like, oh, let's get the Emperor. And Into Darkness, oh, let's get Cod. Right? But I, but I think, you know, with, with Star Trek, it is, you know, the films can be episodic. They're not part of a saga, right? You can do anything. You can, And that's why, like, we need more. Like, just, just if you do a lot... You know, if if you if you get six or seven out of ten right, that's a great ratio. So just keep cranking them out, right? So I think there's a lot more. Honestly, I think there's a lot more margin for error in Star Trek because you, there, there's no set. Well, got to have a trilogy, and this is part of a bigger saga. And there's nine of these, and because you know, now it's like, well, th- this was episode nine. This is it. <laughs> so you can't like you can't say, oh, we'll get them next time. No, there's not a next time. Like there's gonna be like a one-offs. Like I'm sure they'll keep making these. Uh, they'll come back around to making these independent uh, one-off anthology films or whatever you want to call them. But with Star Trek, that's all they are, are an independent film. So I, I feel like there should be a lot more creative freedom, I would feel, with Star Trek to try different things. Uh, that's the way I see Because there's not, although we fall into this Wrath of Khan formula, there's not really, I don't, I don't think when people think of Star Trek, they think of the same thing. The way when people think of Star Wars, they think of the same thing, if you know what I mean. I do. I do. I think I think one thing that that's ironic though that's important to note is um, after Frozen Two came out, Disney stock went up. After the Star Wars movie came down, it went down almost ten dollars per share. Oh, because the fan reaction was bad, or a lot of the critical—I should say—the critical reaction was bad, and the um, <clears throat> it's not going to make as much as the other two, right? At least they're, they're not. They're, it's going to do well, but it's not what it was. So even even though the movie is going to be all kinds of profitable, probably earn a billion dollars, they could lose up to three or four billion just with the stock decline based on the performance of that movie. It's amazing what what is risked out there for these for these uh, huge yeah, companies doing this. Absolutely, yeah. the the film is only one component, right? The merchandising is huge, and if you don't have and, and see, and that's why you know, read back around, right? That's why they try to appeal to the fans because the fans are the people that go buy the merchandise and go see it again and again, and that's where they get your repeat your, your repeat audience and your and memorabilia. That is what the long term uh, profits come from with these. And if people, that's why it's odd. Like I get you want to like appeal to everybody, but if you appeal to like the average moviegoer. They're not going to go buy all the action figures, and they're not going to go see it, Haley. Like you said, you saw three times each the Star Trek movies. Are you? They're not going to do that, and that's fine. They don't need to, but that's that's. Oh, it's tricky. There's so many factors. <laughs> so. so many factors, so little time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a delicate balance to these franchise films, and and what do you do, and how much do you do, and. How little should you do? And do you listen to the fans? Do you not? I tend to lean more on the side of not just because not everybody, there's not a collective like we want this, except for, I will say, I think there is a collective we want a Captain Pike show. Um, (laughs) Beyond that, I don't think that there's really a collective like we want to see this in our next Star Trek film. And I think if you just say, hey, here's our story like they did with Beyond, like this is, you know, yes, it's going to have these characters and and we get the nod at the end of Into Darkness with, you know, the next ship and stuff. But other than that, it was like, nope, just completely kind of off script, I guess you could say. And and so I think that listening because the fandom is so large in both Star Trek and Star Wars you can't really sit there and go like, okay, here's the consensus of like what the fans would want to see because not everybody's going to want that. And, and Uh so there's this very delicate balancing act of what you should do. And, and so I, I applaud them for what they try to do just because it's something and something is better than nothing, especially when it comes to Star Trek films. And so I, I don't know. And for me, it's, Avoid canon. I hate that word. I think it's just awful. <laughs> just drop it. 
Um, we know everything that's come before it. Let's just keep moving forward and just go with it. And if it's the, you know, Kelvin films and it's a different timeline, do whatever you want because, exactly. yes, it's the same characters, but it's a different timeline. And we understand that there's different timelines. Hello, parallels. I mean, come on now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 1979 to 1991, there were six Star Trek movies. <laughs> 2009 to 2020, there have been three <laughs> Star Trek movies. That is a pad ratio. I don't care how you cut it or slice it or whatever you want to do with it. The key is to keep cranking these out. Yeah, you know, we, all three of us disagree with the standard, you know, well, the standard fan idea. Talk about appealing to fans. The even odd rule for the original series movies. We're the exact opposite here on standard. Yep. We're having we represent we the odd yes. movies, the three of us. But there were six, and a lot of people didn't like the three that we like, and you know, and we like them all. You know, I'm just saying, like, like different tastes, and that's what, and because the, the Star Trek movie, the original series movies are so different. You know, I mean, they're all extremely different. Like, like you can see, like, oh, they took a little bit of Star Trek two and and put it into six, or a little bit of three, and the, you know, but they're all so different. And that and that's great. They didn't fall into a formula. They didn't try to like like they were just trying to tell logical stories. No pun intended. You know, like had they listened to the fans, they never would have killed Spock, right? The fans are really upset about this when they heard about this back in the eighties, as I understand it. So, but they did it, and now it's what everybody considers the best Star Trek movie for the most part. It's the one they killed Spock, which the fans never would have wanted. So, to your point, Haley, don't listen to the fans. We don't know what we want. But- no, we don't. <laughs> We change our minds, we're people, and we want one thing one day and something different the next. And, you know, and then, you know, what fans do you listen to? Do you listen to the ones with the loudest voices who are negative Nancys? And, or do you listen to the ones that are quieter about it and more positive? I mean, really, like, you're going to piss off somebody no matter what, so you shouldn't (laughs) listen to us at all anyway, except for when it comes to Pike. Give us a Pike show. give, Give Haley her Pike show, please. You know, I think that's important. I, I, I'd, I'd be happy to see it. I, um, it's not, you know, it's for a different reason. I, I just like my Enterprise. You know, and to me, it's, I, I accept Star Trek without Enterprise. My, fa- one of my favorite is, you know, Deep Space Nine. But I do love it when the Enterprise is involved. To me, it makes it complete. Mm-hmm. That's just me. And the fact that we write with the odd number guys too. It's just, should we be standard orbit or in stable orbit? Or what? <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't either. We're certainly not standard. I don't know. Substandard orbit? <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. No, I don't think we're that bad. Come on now. Well, we'll see how many people we make upset, I guess. I don't know. But but anyway, I think I I think we've we've hit it and um this this was a good discussion. I, I, I appreciate the uh, the thoughts that are pouring out on this because it's just been something that, that's been been spinning in I think all of our heads a bit. And um, it's it's good to have those discussions. I'm really curious to see what people on um, the Babel conference think of this. To me, um, you know, the the, uh, the the comments that you get on these topics are the ones that I really hone in on. So <laughs> hopefully, people will will let us know. Well, remember, kid, yeah, don't listen to the fans. That's what we've learned here. So <laughs> yes, we have listeners, not fans. Oh, that okay. Well. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, talking about the rise of fan service isn't the only thing we're doing on Trek FM this week. Here's a quick look at what else you might have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM. To the journey! I was going to ask this a little bit later, but while we're talking about the Doctor and Seven, let's talk about Voyager relationships. Mm. Are you... We'll do a quick quick thumbs up, thumbs down. Doctor Seven, thumbs up, thumbs down. Thumbs down. Okay. Interesting. How about... Chakotay Janeway. Um, I like the idea, but I also don't... The coin is on its edge. Yeah, but I also don't like the idea of the captain and the first officer being in a relationship. The ready room. I mean, I said, okay, sooner. Back to all those people for five or six days before. I thought, oh, God, they come up with another thing. They come up with another thing. I remember when Go Big Red was just the big, oh, simple yeah. thing. Okay. Earl Grey. Uh, they want us to be with them. The oh, you, you, yes. guys, you guys are just taking it to the extreme now. Just, I... no. no, no. Joe and I are right. <laughs> Kimberly and I are right. The Edge, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. 
Why are you wanting to podcast and to be on the edge? You had no choice. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> why, Oops, why? That you get that me. feeling? That's your arm. I love the sound of my own <laughs> voice. <laughs> no, um, so. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, you can get the show on iTunes or the Apple Podcasts app. Be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, you can stream and download the MB3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. If you would like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can always find us on trekfm slash contact and look at the sidebar on the show page, or you can go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm and please leave us a voice message. You can also contact us through Twitter at trekfm, Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm, and the Babel Conference. Type the Babel Conference, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook or go to our website at trekfm.com and click discussion on the menu bar. Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. Speaking of Patreon, thank you as always to our associate producers for Standard Orbit. They are Norman C. Lau, Nick Anastasio, Tim Robertson, Richard Marquez, Corey Elrod, Dan Rhodes, and Mike Richards. Your contributions and support mean the world to us, and we appreciate you being associate producers on Standard Orbit. So to find me on the interwebs, you can find me on Twitter at BostonSCPO. You can find me on Twitter at Trekkie01D. You can also hear me talking about both Discovery and the Orville over on the Fandom Podcast Network's Discoville podcast that drops every week. As for me, you can find me on Twitter at MoronZach. That's M-O-O-R-E-O-N-Z-A-C-H. I'm also the host of my own podcast, Always Hold On To Smallville, where we talk about each and every episode of that Young Superman show. You can find us on Twitter at AlwaysMallville with one S. I'm also the co-host of Franchise Fatigue, a podcast where we look at sequels, remakes, movie franchises, and when a franchise gets fatigued. You can find us on Twitter at UFP Earth, part of the United Federation of Podcasts. So thanks everyone for listening, and join us again next time here on Trek FM for another episode of Standard Orbit. <laughs>